Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. And arriving slightly late to the party. Sorry, hello, welcome everybody. Um, welcome to you, listeners. Thank you for taking part in the poll. This is the 38th political unmuted. We strive on into the night. The team is all here. I'm just going to say hello to them. We'll get down because we have some huge things to talk about today and uh, things which will be of immense interest to you, I promise you. Um, so I'm going to go straight um, to. Okay, who's my favourite today? I used to do this when I was a, a, a school teacher. Stuart, you can be my favourite today. Don't get jealous, everybody. Moment of the week, Stuart. Uh, today is World Social Worker Day. World Social Work Day. So uh, I just wanted to shout that out. My wife's a social worker. You know, uh, they're often uh, forgotten about when we talk about key workers and we talk about, you know, pay rises in the public sector. We don't really give them the recognition they deserve. They do, you know, quite a lot for us and they're often demonised in the media for some reason. You know, so... Big, big shout out for social workers. A very stressful and distressing job as well. They need immense emotional strength to cope with that. Thank you so much. Yes, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, it's going to be hard to top that. I'm just going to move around clockwise so there's no more favouritism. Uh, Laura, moment of the week. Uh, my moment of the week this week was um, the Women's Banner Group put out a series of posts um, to coincide with the 6pm vigil for um, Sarah Everard on Saturday. Um, and we asked people to send us messages of support or messages of experiences that they'd had. And we one out every two minutes for a whole hour. Um, we had more, but we couldn't put them all out. Um, and I managed to speak to so many women about their experiences. And um, it was really devastating the whole the whole day. <laughs> really took it out of us mentally and emotionally. Um, but it was really just amazing to see so many women want to get involved in something and, and try and make a difference. and and try and normalize that conversation as well. Um, it was re a really special thing to be involved in. And I thank everybody for, for sending in their stories and, and everybody who wanted to talk. It was, um, it was really lovely. That was the one where they were all holding the various signs up. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. the one. Very powerful, brilliant idea, brilliant. Sam, moment of the week. I've got to have it as my moment of the week because it's had me glued to Twitter all day is the impending by-election in Hartlepool. Um, now, poor 
it's it's an exciting moment for a Labour Party activists because we're all thinking who's going to be next. But uh, I think it is really important. And obviously, I don't know exactly what's happened, but lots of people are joining the dots about what may have happened. And I just so, want to so put Sam, it I, I, I saw this. You're going to have to please begin me interrupting you because as I've seen everybody going in about Hartlepool. So do I take it the MP has resigned? And who was the MP? And 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 and, and can, can explain to people who just actually know nothing of what you're talking about? Absolutely. So the MP was Mike Hill. Uh, he's been the MP there since 2017. And he's um, Labour. And he's Labour. Um, and historically, as in over the last couple of years, he was previously, he had previously had the whip removed while there was a sexual misconduct investigation um, into him. So the suggestion, the rumours are that this uh, resignation might be linked to that. Um, so I just would just obviously, if that is the case, which we don't know if it is, but if it is the case, we really need to uh, ask real questions about how it was able to happen and make sure we are make it not able to happen in the future. Uh, we can't just shy away from it, uh, confronting this because this is one of our own uh, powerful men do despicable things and we need to make sure that we don't have any space for them in our movement or in our party. I mean, I, I feel the need to just say that this is all alleged and speculation yes. and we don't know yet. And and sort of, we you, know, you were talking in general terms about the theory of it rather mm -hmm. than this particular person. I'm just saying that, ladies and gentlemen, just to, to keep We this, don't want to get sued. That's, that's it. It's safe. Um, <laughs> I would be very happy and, for and, it to be nothing related to that and he's just got another job Sam wasn't speaking on behalf of herself she was just saying that people are saying which is sort of uh, thank you because and I, I feel that i suckered you into that to a degree sam so i'm sorry because um i've just seen people talking uh hartley and and sort of uh, and basically the, the the message that i've been seeing is that labor are going to find it very hard to hang on to this seat in consequence well, this is the problem is if you add together the uh, Brexit party votes and the Conservative votes from the last election, that is more votes than the Labour Party got. So if you take the Brexit party out of the equation and all of those votes go to the Conservatives, then the Conservatives win. Uh, Hartlepool has the same challenge that all of us red wall seats uh, have in terms of a Brexit voting population. Um, so it is tricky. It is going to be really interesting to see who the party, um, who who ends up becoming the uh, parliamentary candidate. It's going to be really quick. I, I, it looks like they're trying to make the election coincide with the local elections, which is like six weeks away. <laughs> um, so it's going to be a short, sharp shock. Uh, obviously, I hope for the best. I hope every election returns a Labour candidate, but we'll just have to see. I mean, it's really bad if they, if they marry the um, by-election to the local elections, because you might as well not have a, a local election. It just follows the by-election. The, the, and we, we found this uh, in 2017 when sort of they, they married the general election with the local elections and um, sort of people changed their mind um, sort of in, mm. in minutes. Um, sort of, well, that's looking really bad then. Thank you for that news. And yes, heck, um, I think it was all go uh, where you were working. Um, and Paul, uh, sort of, please tell us you've got something more 
uplifting, less depressing and upsetting than the, than, than the previous three moments of the week. Yeah, so Spain's going to do something really interesting. They're going to try a four-day week. Um, so ah. to recover from uh, everything that's happened with the coronavirus, um, what what we know from looking at statistics is shorter working weeks keep more people employed with the same amount of pay. Um, they have they have a different system to us. I think they have proportional representation, um, and they have a, a, a left wing party have, have suggested this, and the centre right government have uh, said, yeah, let's run a trial, see how it works. So they're going to run a trial of a of a four day week in a certain area in Spain, and I think that's a real positive move. Um, I think we should be working less. You know, the the fantasy from the past was that um, that we were going to like you know, mechanization of the workforce is going to mean that we're all going to live these luxurious lives and we're only going to work a little bit. So uh, capitalism found more work for us to do. Um, so yay, go capitalism! You know they get some box checking and stuff like that. Always delighted with it. Also, John, we missed out on positioning you. So yeah, that's better. See up, 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 up. <laughs> People can't see your chin. So, I'm, I'm, well, I was always a chinless wonder. That's it, perfect. Uh, is that perfect. better? That's it, yeah. Um, these, these things that people don't see when we're setting up, so. Uh, so, so <laughs> they need to be able to see me floppy old skin on me chin, chin, me neck there. So, so that's the, the first thing to go, you know. Um, so, uh, uh, the um, I'm sorry, people. We're just joking between ourselves and it's most rude. Um, do you think that would be an idea? I mean, is this a possibility in Britain? Would it work in Britain, Paul? Have, have Spain stumbled upon a future for the, the United Kingdom? I would just say on that, right, okay, so over this crisis, we've seen where the money's gone. We've seen that like, there's been a massive investment from the bank, um, from the Bank of England, and now it's awful because like the UK owes so much debt. 92% of which is owed to itself, it's owed to the Bank of England. What we're going to do, we owe ourselves some money. I don't know what I'm going to do when I owe myself some money. I'll just give myself the money. And then it's it's just a bizarre thing. So at least we're moving away from that household model. Now, of course, this would work. Of course, this would work. A lot of what we do is absolute nonsense. A lot of what we do is completely pointless. Loads of jobs don't add any value whatsoever. Why don't we start thinking about how to live our lives in a positive way and come out of coronavirus? A lot of people are pleased to get back to work. A lot of people are just desperate to get back to normal. But this isn't normal. This isn't going and flogging yourself at work just because you're bored of everything else and have no other freedoms. It's a little bit like when uh, people in you know certain situations would be uh, who without freedom would be really delighted to have a job sweeping a floor somewhere because it gets or, or going outside or tar on a roof or something like that let's start doing productive things uh in shorter amounts of time and uh and having a bit more of a life that would be lovely wouldn't it um except hairdressers we need hairdressers to work seven days a week uh, at least for a limited period sort of um until they get us all uh cropped back to normal but apart from that sort of yes it's a very exciting prospect and um uh, and, and I just clearly retired just too soon to enjoy <laughs> this, this brilliant step forward. Thank you, everybody, for your moments of the week. And thank you for an uplifting and hopeful one there, Paul. Now, let's hope our government may bear that kind of thing in mind. Um, but now, everybody, um, back to serious. 
Now it's time for the big story. Just things, aren't there, where they take you by surprise. And who would have thought that, who would have thought a week ago that we would have seen the scenes that we've we've been seeing? And, um, and something, just occasionally, something inspires a nation and, and, and something really big and happens and you have to grasp that time and make it count uh, and, and not just uh, lo lose the moment um laura what am i talking about fill us in on the background tell us all about what's happened and then uh share what you think about it okay so um where to start <laughs> where to start um i'll start with saturday um on saturday there was a planned vigil for anyone who's been living under a rock and doesn't know what's been going on, the vigil was to remember Sarah, Sarah Everard, who was um, kidnapped and murdered, um, allegedly by a Met police officer. Um, on the 3rd of March, as she was walking home. Um, the, the people who organised the... People are saying protest, protest but it was... It was a vigil, vigil slash protest. It wasn't ever meant to be sort of an angry protest. Absolutely not, given that we're remembering somebody who's been so violently murdered. Um, and so the Reclaim the Streets group knew that because we're in a pandemic, um, that it might not be the best idea to go out. They might get into trouble. So they went to the High Court to ask for permission or to ask for the legislation to be changed to have an sort of an exception for protesting as long as it is managed and socially distanced um the high court didn't say no but they said you need to sort it out with the police um we're not saying no um if you can sort of sort it out amongst yourselves then by all means so um it all went quiet a little bit i mean bear in mind this was this all happened really quickly this happened within a few a few days um they decided to go ahead the strength of feeling was so strong that they felt that they couldn't not do it so they met on clapham common um as i understand it it was socially distanced as much as possible i think there was a meter between people um and there, there's sort of a bandstand in the middle of Clapham Common and there were women on the bandstand doing like a call and repeat sort of protest. Um, uh, I've seen some interviews with people who were there and they said at that point, that was about six or seven o'clock, everything was sort of going okay. Um, there was a lot of emotion, lots and lots of candles and flowers, a few police officers dotted around, but it was, it was okay. And then as the night started to draw in and the, and the sun went down, um, more police came in. Um, although the nature of the vigil hadn't changed, there were no angry shouting or anything. It was, it was just the same up for the whole afternoon into the night. Um, and then the police stormed the bandstand and started dragging people away saying that it was um, unlawful and they shouldn't be there. And then following that, more police officers came and started to go within the crowd, um, telling them that they needed to get home. Um, this, obviously, you'll have seen the footage. There was a lot of physical aggression used um, to drag these women away. Um, and it, it's just, 
I've seen a lot of stuff. I'm not going to stand sit here and say um, all, all policemen are awful. They're not. My brother's a policeman and he's a brilliant one. Um, but what I will say is that it's a failing on the on number one, the Home Office, who shouldn't have, who should have maybe planned ahead and, and thought about protests. You know, it was fine to lift a travel ban when their rich friends needed to go to work and do an exemption for that. Um, but also, you know, what do the optics look like? A bunch of women coming together to remember a woman who was violently murdered by potentially a police officer for then police officers to go in with um, all their physicality to get women out. It, the optics of that look really bad. And of course it was gonna look awful in the news. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's just really, it's been all that's been on the news and there's been conversations that perhaps it wouldn't have been what Sarah would have wanted. Um, Yes. which are, and maybe her family wouldn't have wanted that um I can't imagine what they were going through seeing all those scenes I mean there was a lot of love there for her there was thousands of flowers and people really remembering the woman that she was but also I think the whole situations really started conversations like I said earlier in the moment of the week the women's banner group have started having these conversations with women a lot of these women have never ever spoken about their experiences um and and they, this is sort of starting a com that conversation and actually every single woman has had an experience of some sort um and I feel like I can having not met every woman in the world I still feel like I can quite happily say that has had some experience where they've felt scared or intimidated or have been physically attacked you know there's a whole spectrum of things of inappropriate behavior that shouldn't be allowed to the point where that day a woman was flashed by somebody on her way home from the vigil she was visibly upset went to one of the police officers to report it and he said look love we've had enough not tonight um you know so they, they these police officers who were there to do you think? Uh, I mean, so one of the accusations is that the uh, the Met um, uh, may be um, institutionally misogynist. I mean, do you think that there is any kind of grounds for that accusation? When you tell us that story, it's looking as though there's grounds for that accusation. What's your comment about the wider issue there? I mean, I think. I think it certainly needs looking into. They're not doing themselves any favours, are they? Um, I think, you know, the, 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 the alleged murderer was reported, you know, a, a couple of days earlier for, um, for, for something that he should have been investigated for. I think it was, um, uh, what was it? Indecent it was exposure. Like yeah. yeah. So, and, and that seemed to, I know there's a process and people need to be investigated, but this man, his job was to stop people doing exactly things like that. So it, it perhaps that I think there is an argument for that. You know, we're still looking at the argument of institutional racism in the police force as well. Um, these things do need to be looked at. And if, if, there's, if it comes out that there isn't, then there needs to be questions asked about the people who run the police and what they're allowing and what they think is appropriate force, because I thought on Saturday it was disproportionate force. Obviously I wasn't there and I could just go by the people I've seen talking about their experiences. Um, but these are people who, who 
basically get paid to look after other people and for, my for them to be... Or, my feeling was that when you saw the age of the police uh, men there, they were um, very, very young. Some of them looked as though they might even be probationers, you know, and you, you think, is this, the, is this a wise group? to put in control of this very, very sensitive um, event. And um, their behaviour, I thought, and, and you just, what on earth do they think they're going to achieve here? And, 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 and what on earth is going through their head? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not talking about the, the rights and the wrongs of the thing. I'm just talking, as you were, about the look of the thing. So then who possibly thought that that response was was appropriate in the circumstances. Um, I'm going to come back to you, Laura, because this is um, very much uh, a, an issue for the two ladies today. Uh, but Sam, um, your thoughts on, on on the whole thing? Yeah, I, I think we we really need to. Um, it's very easy to talk about the police officers on the ground and I uh, appreciate that not everybody makes the right decisions, but I think the real questions are about the operational organizational side of it the people who you didn't see in the the tv uh, unfortunately it's it's going to be these people on the ground who uh, sort of take the flack for it um but you know it's about who made that decision to send them in heavy-handed and to uh try and push see there's lots of there's lots of comments about social distancing and about covid but that's a lot of the photographs you're seeing on the news are after the, the people at the vigil were all pushed together by the police officers. So you've got to ask when, when from an operational point of view, did it make sense to kettle people who are at a vigil during, um, during a pandemic um, and then uh, to sort of confront them directly, especially when you see similar scenes of the, was it football or rugby, the the celebrations in, in Scotland, where there are literally thousands of men <laughs> marching through the streets and just being like shepherded along nicely by the police. But um, so that's all right, but this isn't for some reason. Um, so it is really worrying. Like I said, uh, like Laura says, it's always it's good to ask the questions about whether groups are, you know, uh, institutionally misogynist or not. It's definitely always worth asking that question and finding concrete answers. Um, I just think it's such a terrible, uh, terrible set, se sequence of events tied into a horrific tragedy. And, and just before, just on the last episode of this, last episode of this show on the after show, I was making half half jokes about, oh, I'm gonna go and lock my chickens up now and I'm gonna get murdered because actually that's the reality of, of, of living as a woman in this country. And what I really hope we get is um, people starting to listen to women when they tell them they're afraid and, and stop talking over us and, and actually ask what you can do to make it better rather than just shrugging it off. At the risk of talking over you, Sam. Please forgive me. I mean, do you think that this is Britain's Me Too moment? Do you, do you think that it's um, uh, similar in, in, in its nature? And, and, and if so, 
Um, do you think, I mean, what you're basically what he's been saying is, is that society is misogynist. And, 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 and that it's that that we need to address at its very root cause. And, and do you see it having any effect? Um, and, and, and what do we need to do to make it have an effect? Yeah, what I've been really encouraged about over the last week is him hearing men speak up and saying it's not a women's issue, it's a society issue, it's about institutional misogyny in society and a patriarchal system which hurts men as much as it hurts women. You know, the fact is that men are more likely to commit suicide, uh, men are more likely to be the victim of murder, all of those things, and it all stem from the same cultural poisons um, that the, the things we're complaining about here stem from the fact that you know you've got big boys don't cry and you've got to be a man and you put that woman in her place and she's ultimately your property um, so you better make sure she's doing what you tell her to do <clears throat> and you've got to get out there and earn, earn the money to keep the household going those are all just terrible poisonous unhelpful concepts that we just need to start educating out of society as soon as possible laura one of the things about the the the, the, the um education being the, the the answer is is that in fact um the the what it said on uh, question time on the radio was was I thought was the point well, well made that it isn't about teaching people right and wrong about this so that the people who do these things know they're doing wrong um, it, that, that, that sort of um, they've already been educated they've just chosen to ignore that education um, sort of um, and, and sort of the, so what the gentleman said was that, and it was a man mind, he said, we, we need to be aware of the limitations of education in this situation. I mean, what's your thought on that? Do, do you think we can educate society out of these? Or do you think it needs um, more active, um, <laughs> strange word, policing of, of, of uh, proper attitudes towards women? Well, I think, Education, and as I was about to say, it, I've just seen Vonnie pop up saying the same thing. Education's a good place to start. It really is. That education then needs to be put into practice. We need um, people in positions of influence to display the behaviours that we want our children to display. We need um, you know, people that our children look up to to be to be talking about these things we need it not to just be grassroots people we need everybody singing from the same hymn sheet if we can if we can get in early enough and speak to children about respect and about treating each other equally and no one's better than anybody else I mean these are ideas that have been around for centuries so it is going to take a long time to deconstruct that and I think we've made, we are making a good start um, and as much as I don't want to take anything away from the remorse everyone's feeling about Sarah Everard the this has sparked something in people you know people are now starting to talk people are starting to realize oh god those things that happened to me weren't okay um and that again that is a good place to go as well just getting everybody talking about it and just going right this is not okay but um you said earlier on John that this is you're going to let the, the women speak because this is not a man's issue this is absolutely a man's issue I can't stop you behaving the way you behave 
it's up to you to stop behaving the way you behave, you know, and understanding that your behaviors have huge impact on on women. Not you per se, John, but well let's let's let the men speak and hear what they've got that they, they've got to say by the way um on the i've got a screen to my left here with all your comments thank you so much for those positive and constructive and um balanced comments they're so welcome and sam will be no doubt taking us through them uh, in the after show um, sort of, um, uh, I hope so. Anyway, um, she's in charge of that. Um, let, let's see what the men say. Um, uh, Paul, about the whole thing. Um, I just, uh, I've, I was so, I, I was so shaken by the whole thing. Like I was, I was shaken by the murder, and then I was, I was thinking, okay, the Met have done something pretty bad here. You know, they've allowed this person allegedly to murder someone after finishing his shift, after he flashed someone uh, weeks previously. If you look back into the record of the of the Met, uh, any time they're accused of anything, it appears that they don't really get prosecuted for it. It's very rare. There's a, there seems to be a culture where they are looking after each other and looking after their own. So, um, so we've got this situation as well. If you type in uh, Met Officer Sexual Assault... This isn't the first thing that comes up. You know, you would think it would be, you know, this isn't necessarily a sexual assault. We don't know what happened. We, we know it was, a, it was a, a murder and we don't we don't know exactly who did it, but we suspect. Anyway, um, if you look into that, this has been happening for a number of years now where Met officers have been accused of sexual assault. Some of them get prosecuted. Most of them don't. Um, and this seems to be a systemic problem. And you know me, I always go after systems rather than individuals. And I think what a lot of people want to do is say, look, this is just one bad egg. This is just one person. And, you know, and it could have happened uh, to, you know, that, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether a police, they were in the police, they were in the Met or whatever. This person could have done that anyway, you know, they, they could have been in a different job. And it's just every now and then there's a bad person. There seems to be something institutionally wrong in that police force. And they went out and showed it, didn't they? They went out and showed it. They were like, what do you, th what do we think of you women? Now, if it were me, I would be on the megaphone and I would have been saying, we've let you down. And the last thing we want is any of you to be in a situation where you feel unsafe. So you know what we're going to do? At the end of this... We'd like to offer an, a people um, police escort home. We'll walk home on the streets with you. We'll make sure that you're safe, and um, and that would have went some way towards like making up for the perception around what the Met have done. But instead, they decided to body slam them. Now, was that for COVID? Was that to stop the spread of coronavirus? Because that's the excuse that they're using. They didn't body slam Rangers fans when they went out and celebrated on the streets. They didn't body slam like, you know, many other groups. They don't go into schools when like I'm teaching in, in a much more crowded area inside rather than outside. And we're not socially distanced, but I'm half expecting a police like person to come in and body slam me just to make sure that they body slam the COVID out of me because that appears to be what they were doing because those women were kneeling down peacefully and were grabbed and, 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 some of the excuses have been like, oh, you know, it looks really bad because there's five of us doing it. I do know all about that because I work in a school where sometimes these things have to happen. However, you don't, 
they didn't have to get hold of them. They weren't posing a danger other than perhaps spreading coronavirus. Now, you don't body slam coronavirus out of people. I, I, I don't know what else I can say around that. It seems totally ludicrous to me the way they went on. Thank you, Paul. Um, Stuart, um, oh, I had a question there, and uh, I just glanced at Anthony uh, Riley's comment that empathy would have been much better than violence, and uh, sort of just agreeing with you. And I've completely forgotten the um, uh, the question I was going to ask you, Stuart. So just um, please forgive this. What's your take on all this? Uh, you know, it's an, it's an important time that, you know, people actually start to not just, you know, listen to women, but, you know, actually hear what's going on and take that on board. Uh, some of the stuff I've seen, uh, the arguments against the whole situation were, you know, that, that crowd wasn't COVID safe. And uh, if you believe that, you know, have, have a look at schools. That's going to that's gonna shake your world. And other people have said the police were just doing their job. And I don't think people realise that part of, you know, a police officer's job is to, you know, consider the effects of your actions. They, did, they didn't really take on board, that, you know, that there was feelings in, involved in what those actions would do. You know, it shows that policing as it is, where somebody just tells you what to do and you go and do it is, you know, inflexible. And it, it, it's not going to give you the results you want. You want people to feel safe, to be the protectors. And what, you've done, what they've done is made people feel more unsafe in this situation. I think it's going to cause a situation now where more women will feel, you know, less inclined to go to a police officer to speak up about, you know, the dangerous situations that they're in. Absolutely. Um, Laura, last word. Um, I, I want um, a word, please, uh, to direct us to the future. Oh, come on. You're going to leave, leave that on my doorstep. Okay, I guess we just have to be more considerate. Um, we have to look at things from all perspectives before we make decisions and before we take any actions. Somebody, I saw the word consent pop up there. I didn't read the comment, but that word, consent. Okay, if you don't get consent for something, don't do it. Um, some, some men think a lot of things is just banter. But that banter can have serious impact on, on those women later on in life. You might not think you've done anything wrong. You might not intentionally, but consent. <laughs> Please get consent. Let's get the conversation, keep the conversations going as upsetting and just emotionally exhausting as they are. They need to come out because they've been kept silent for far too long. It isn't the fault of the woman if something happens to them. You should not feel shame. You should not feel embarrassed. This was done to you. Tell people, tell people what is happening in our society. Let's stop misogyny. We're in a, we're, we're all involved in the campaign to make misogyny a hate crime. Maybe we should start one that says make, make patriarchy a hate crime because it damages so many people. Like Samantha said, it's a structural issue in our whole society. We need to be mindful of that. And we need to not just lay blame at one door. We need to not to label people as victims and heroes and start thinking about things in a universal sense with more empathy i guess <laughs> god bless you all thank you thank you so much for your comments thank you laura for leading on that very difficult subject and um and i think the other the only other thing we've got to say is um 
that thank you for not going off into extremes as well i thought it was a, a measured uh, series of comments balanced and fair thank you so much for that but most of all we just need to um, pass on our, our deep sympathy and sadness to the family of Sarah. When you get to my age, you think, how the hell do you cope with the loss of your daughter? How the hell do you cope with the death of a child? It's sort of, it must, it, it's, um, it, 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 you know, we're, we're talking about these things that are important to us, but my God, so, so love to all the family. Uh, so sorry. Right. Other questions? Jake Ratcliffe, this government would never make patriarchy a hate crime or they'd all be in prison. That, Jake, is the comment of the month, mate. Well done to you. Absolutely brilliant. Sort of a bomb mo, if ever there was one. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, um, so the, uh, we talked so long about this. I knew we would. Um, we just got time for two, two questions. Um, so, um, I'm going to lead off with Samantha. Um, Three UK government LGBT advisors have quit um, with a comment about ignorant ministers. What on earth's going on there? I mean, sort of, you just despair. Tell us all about it, Sam, and, 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 and give us your thoughts. Yeah, so the, the government has been talking about banning conversion therapy for a long time and not doing it. Um, I have, I really, I was surprised to see this come up actually, because I had only been seeing the debate as like a passerby um, kind of this week. And I assumed there was a vote on banning conversion therapy because like loads of MPs were coming out and saying, I support a ban on conversion therapy. So I thought, oh, this is great. We're getting a ban on conversion therapy. No, we haven't we got a Westminster Hall debate on it because it's still not being banned and it obviously needs to be banned um you know I, I just I just can't believe that we're still in a society which which does that and I um I I I've, it's not the same it's not the same but we have a similar um issue within uh, the autistic community where people think that autistic people can be cured and they do horrendous inhumane and and dangerous things um to to autistic people to try and cure them and it just blows my mind that we're still in a society where people think that somebody's sexuality or somebody's uh, neurodiversity can be cured and we don't see that this is just part of the full spectrum of the glorious diversity of humankind and it's to be to be embraced so basically yeah we've got these um uh, advisors who um were with with the government and they actually come away from the government so that they can actively criticize the government in not banning conversion therapy uh, conversion therapy is a, a therapy whereby you try and make somebody who is gay not gay anymore uh, just replying to one of the comments that's on there and again it's all it's all tied up in in the patriarchy as Paul says over on YouTube it, it, it it's just such an archaic way of thinking 
you know, I, I just I can't can't get over that. But unfortunately, we are in a situation where we've got a, a quite an extreme far right conservative government. Um, and we've got a situation where trans kids can't get access to hormone um, puberty blockers anymore because they've been ruled uh, unethical. Uh, there's nothing more unethical than forcing somebody to go through the irreversible lifelong effects of puberty that they don't want. Uh, and, you know, these are the the real challenges that we need a government that's got the fortitude to stand up to. Unfortunately, we don't have that because that's not what our government's about. It's not about protecting people and looking after people. It's about throwing people to the wolves and seeing which one survives the longest. Thank you. I mean, Paul, um, uh, Sam's Sam, there basically um, answered the, the second question, the question I was going to ask you, which is sort of, what's wrong with the government? I mean, is this it's because it is it a deeply homophobic government that they're just pretending otherwise? Is it a deeply conservative government that just didn't make these necessary changes? Or, or one that believes that we ought to have them, you know, uh, or is, is Sam just throws people for the wolves? Sort of, What's going on in the government's head to have got themselves into this position over this issue? I think people need to understand what conservatives are. Like conservatives are people who don't believe in in change. Like you know, they want to conserve things how they are, and you know, change comes from elsewhere other than conservatives. Conservatives have change forced upon them, and sometimes come reluctantly into the future. Uh, so, like you know, if they believe in you know, fundamental Christian values that were made up in, I don't know, I don't know what year they decided that uh, gay people were a problem yeah. in uh, in Christianity. I don't know when that was, but um, I don't think it was as long ago as people think, to be honest. I think it was a much, much more recent thing, but um, they would have wanted to conserve those British values, those, those kind of Victorian values. And every single change has, has come... Um, come with a fight back so let's look at so when when gay people were starting to get recognized a little bit more section 28 don't promote homosexuality in schools what they meant is don't admit that they exist in schools and that is had an absolute horrendous impact on on loads of of, of gay people um and you know that is what they want they want things to stay the same they don't want things to change now the people who were on this panel they had an incredibly low bar for for acceptance they described boris johnson a man who described gay people as tank-topped bum boys as an ally of the lgbt plus community if he's an ally if he's your friend what's your enemy going to be like well your enemy's going to be like liz truss talking about how scandalous it is that like we import cheese or something like that like that these people are neither forward-thinking they're not clever. They are just like they just want to hark back to an age that never existed, where for them these problems didn't exist. It was just like you know you just had a man and a woman, and that's it. It's nice and simple for them. That's what they want. These situations never really existed in reality, and that is what a conservative is. They don't want change. So if you think you want acceptance for people, they will come 
they will have to be dragged kicking and screaming to do that. And half the Labour Party are quite conservative as well, um, socially conservative as well. You know, you've got like Blue Labour who have very, very socially conservative views about immigration and about LGBT rights and stuff like that. It is the position of social conservatism. That's what it is. So if we have a conservative government, don't be surprised if they don't want things to get better for certain groups of people. Stuart, um, what confuses me about what Paul has said is that when you look at the roots of the Conservative Party, and please forgive me, people, because I am going to stereotype to a certain extent, but there's a truth in what I say. Um, when you look at Eton and places like that, when you look at the Church of England, these bolsters of society, homosexuality has for some considerable time been running rife through these institutions. And, 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 and sort of, so do you not find some kind of strange contrast between what the Tories are saying and what many, many of them are doing? And, and, and sort of, how is it that this body of people, so many of whom have either uh, engaged in homosexual activity at some time in their life or who are themselves just gay, should then be so hostile towards the gay community? And, 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 and I find it such a strange thing to come to terms with. Um, have you any answer to that? I don't find it out of character. You know, when, when I think about a conservative politician, you know, I, I hear them say one thing and do another. And that, that's across the board. They'll say that they're allies of the LGBTQ community and then actively work against them. They'll say that they'll support key workers and then they'll actively, you know, throw them to the walls. You know, that's I'm interrupting you, Stuart. They'll say they're going to help the, the Red Wall constituencies and then they take more than they're giving them. Carry on, please forgive me. You know, I, I don't think often for a conservative politician it's all to do with, you know, the content or the, the material at hand. It's the, the way that they react with it. You know, clearly there's going to be, you know, gay and trans members of the Conservative Party. We know this is going to be a fact. You know, and that they should be inclined to helping those people, but they're not because they're quite happy to say one thing, feel like that's the job done, and do another. Move on to the next, say one thing, move on to the next thing. It's a, it's about the makeup of their you know character as much as it is about their morality for me. One of the things I always got across about church is that I went to church as a child. And you sang things, um, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And it was only later that I realised that they were all just singing in and going home and carrying on as normal. And I was a silly idiot. I, I thought, oh, my golly, that's very hard, isn't it? Sort of um, uh, sort of sharing your wealth, giving away your wealth and helping people with your money. Sort of what a, what a hard thing to ask of people. And nobody ever told me that. You, you just say it. You don't need to actually do it. Laura, um, <laughs> la last, um, last comment uh, on, on, on this um, uh, it's very difficult to say anything but sort of outrage, outrage, outrage. I mean, sort of, where do you see us going? For, because the government will just ignore these people. Where do you think is going 
from here on Conservative. I'm asking you all about the future. Sort of, I hope you've got your crystal ball out there tonight to tell us <laughs> where do we go from here on this conversation? Well, I mean, the fact that these, these people have resigned is a good start. They're highlighting an issue. But dear me, I couldn't, I genuinely couldn't believe it. I didn't know conversion therapy was still a thing. I, I couldn't believe it. I was really shocked. I mean, I, and I, I'm, I'm wondering if more people didn't know it was a thing and if we can highlight that this is still happening. And not only is it happening, the government are in favour of it and will not get rid of it. It's just, I mean, it's pure and simple discrimination, isn't it? So we need every single person who's ever been on a pride march any single person who cares about other people especially the lgbt community to get out and and protest you know yeah you might get a ten thousand pound fine because you know we're not allowed to protest but you can do it online you can shout you can you can disagree we need to be doing this at a grassroots level we need to change the minds of well not even change the minds of the people just awaken them to what's actually happening because I think most people would think that conversion therapy is a form of abuse and it shouldn't be happening they just maybe don't know about it one of the things I note Laura is that in fact out there in normal society in fact um people are really cool with the fact that their neighbors are gay It, it really is not an issue in normal society and most normal people will we'll regard conversion therapy, if they knew the details, as mental and physical torture. So basically, they're trying to torture people out of being gay. And of course, all they do is they, they, they just torture them into repressing it and doing immense mental damage to them. I wonder if we could torture Boris Johnson out of being a insert expletive here. Sort of... Um, no, it'd be fun. Okay, uh, I'm going to get in so much trouble for that. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> it just popped out there. Right, you um, And the, the, the last topic of the day is um, uh, thank you, everybody, for commenting on that. Is um, uh, just the councils, the funding crisis facing councils at the moment. I cannot. Uh, sort of, sort of the, the the normal Durham County Council haters are, are not on tonight. So sort of, I can't help but point out that in fact wise husbanding of their revenues and capital budgets means that in fact Durham County Council is not in a huge funding crisis at the moment sort of so that's that's good we're 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 um we're still looking after your money properly um but there's massive problems um all across the country in many councils Stuart tell us all about it uh, you know, once again, we, we've got a situation where councils are struggling to, to, to keep going with money. We've got nearly 25, was it, that uh, could go bankrupt in any moment. You know, that's how close to the edge some of these councils are. And this is just with them doing their, their very basic lowest level of legal duty towards their constituents. So that, like, that's really dangerous for all those people that live there. You know, th- those councils need proper funding. And it's, it's been a problem for going on over a decade now. It's, we've just been cut and cut and savaged and scarred. And, you know, DCC have done a relatively good job, I think, at staying afloat. But I think it's come at the cost of uh, the staff. 
you know, I think that the, the vast majority of the burden is put on these council's employees as they're told to do more with less. And we're losing services, you know, across the board. We want more libraries, but we're told that we don't have any more money to, to have more libraries. We want more services. We want, you know, youth centres. And, you know, unless the government's going to step up and actually start funding things properly, we're going to have nought in a few years' time. You know, this isn't sustainable. You know, even if DCC is doing well now, what will it be like in another 10 years of being you know, savaged and scarred, you know, that council is scarred. I mean, one of the problems is that um, at government level, um, local council, local government is not a protected um, part of the, the budget. So, you know, they, they come to set the budget and they say, well, we can't take anything off there and we're not taking anything off there. And they've got that, that built-in increase built-in and it's et cetera. Where are we going to find the cuts? And every time they just come to, to, to local government, and you're right, the word savage they heard. Um, he says, Sam, how, how are things at town and parish level? Well, again, because Durham County Council is being very kind to us, you know, we, we are struggling, but um, the government took, it always used to be the case that there was a requirement for uh, unitary authorities, so that's Durham County Council, to give a certain amount of money to town and parish councils. And they took away the requirement. So a lot of town and parish councils don't get any support from the unitary authorities, but we still do in County Durham, which is very nice. <laughs> it does mean that if the gets a bit of to and fro between uh, town councils and, and Durham County Council, they remind us, you know, we give you all this money and we don't have to. <laughs> um, so, um, and that came up when we were talking in depth about double taxation recently. Um, I think that the, the, the county ended up saying, you know, well, if we're going to review the whole situation, then you might end up with a, a lot less money than you currently enjoy. Um, so, yeah, it is. The thing is, with town and parish councils, um, we generally we have a lot less responsibility. We've got a lot less budget. Um, so we, we are looking after the flower beds and looking after and cutting, cutting very small parts of grass and, and so on and so forth. Um, in Shildon, we are lucky to have a small workforce which help us deal with perhaps emergency things that Durham County Council, it would take Durham County Council quite a lot longer to get to. Um, and I think that's valuable. Not everybody agrees with me. That's the state of politics. Um, so yeah, it is really tight. Um, but again, managing what you've got in the, the most sensible way you can uh, is, is a real advantage. Uh, one thing that we uh, came across recently was the town council uh, became a like a, a beneficiary, a, basically a, a local charity went bust years and years and years ago and they couldn't find anybody to give the money to. So it ended up coming to us uh, for the benefit of the town. So we've been able to start a small grants system where we work with the local food bank. And if somebody needs a hundred pound for a fridge, um, you know, 50 quid for a van to move there, 
very small amount of belongings into social uh, rented accommodation, we can help them with that. So that's really, really um, good and very rewarding at the moment. Um, you don't have to have a lot of money to make a big change is what I'm trying to say. Thank you very much indeed. And, and I would agree, most, most of the parish council services are discretionary as well. Uh, yeah. They're not statutory. Um, and, and these things are just so important for the mental well-being of the community. It, the people don't understand how important walking out and, and having nice, pretty flower beds it, it is to you. You know, sort of they would have us living in, in, um, in, in this awful grey world, people. Right, uh, Paul, um, sort of um, everybody, they, they've done polls on this and everybody accepts that the government has slaughtered uh, council finances and that it is the government that has been putting up council tax. The government's been saying you can put it up so much and, and then they've been taking away money, so they've got to put it up so much. People accept that, but they still get furious with the council about... Council tax. Can you explain this to us? Why, why are people so angry at Durham County Council about a council tax that, in fact, has been hiked upon it by the Conservative government when people actually know this to be the case? OK, so the people who um, who do polls tend to be quite politically engaged. Um, the people who don't tend to do polls... Um, Maybe like, there could be anyone. They might not be politically engaged. They might be. They might not be. But people who do polls are politically engaged, so they're more likely to know what's going on. Now, how can we expect everyone to know what's going on if we don't say it, if we aren't explicit with it? We see this rhetoric come out, and I think people have this uh, this tendency to believe politicians with a posh voice when they just say things with, oh, I'm going to say this with confidence. Like, look at Dominic Raab. Like, he's, an, he's a moron. You know, he, he, he didn't know that Calais was important for trade. But everyone's he's like, <laughs> just very confident. I'm very confident what I say. And you're like, oh, oh, he must be right. And I think that's what, I think that's part of what this is. So they'll say things like, oh, your council has done this. And they'll be like, that's terrible. What a terrible thing to have done. Um, because people don't have time to be politically engaged. Political engagement is a luxury in many cases. People without much money, um, you know, if they're involved in politics, they're sacrificing something else. They're sacrificing time with their families. Um, they're, they're sacrificing time with their friends. They're sacrificing a lot of their lives to get politically active. People who really don't have much to do, it's very easy for them to get politically active. They can do it as part of their day job, you know, and, and this is the problem that we have. Loads of people are doing other things, which is their right. They can go and do things because they have awful lives. Like they have awful struggles and stuff. And why not enjoy yourself and switch off from politics so they're not as politically engaged? And someone comes along and tells them something and we don't offer a strong enough counter-narrative and, and that's it. And then what you can do as well is if someone's done a thousand things wrong and someone's done one thing wrong, so the, this is how, how it always works. The Tories do awful things, awful things. And there are things that I think that I disagree with that the Labour Party do and, and or left-wing people do sometimes. I don't think it's particularly left-wing to have like executives on massive salaries, for example. I would be cutting at that. I'd be looking at like 
totally changing the structure and having a grassroots worker involvement in decision making and people who know about their job making those decisions. I am not a real fan of managerialism, which seems to be how every county council in there is run. Now, the Tories would have, or the Lib Dems or whoever it is who's your opposition, have absolutely no qualms in going, look at the Labour Party. Look at what they're doing. They're employing these people on massive salaries. They'll have no intention of changing that. No intention whatsoever, but they'll have a pop about that thing. And I'll agree with it because, you know, and if I wasn't politically engaged, maybe I'd be like, you know what? They shouldn't have those people on there. So that one thing might be the last thing they've heard and they'll go, right, and the thousand bad things that they've done, like cut all these services, years of austerity, what's going to happen if you keep on cutting councils? Well, they're going to run out of money. It's really, really obvious because councils can't make their own money, unlike governments, so they don't order themselves. Um, and that's the situation we find ourselves in. People aren't being uh, engaged with at their level. And I think one of the things that the Labour Party do really 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 badly is they speak down to people they say we know what's best for you and they don't ask and and i think this is this like this fabian socialism aspect to the labor party they will say i know what's best for you and then they will go and i will we will deliver this for you well they might not want that you know we need to engage at a more grassroots level things need to be coming from the bottom up uh, rather than the top down. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, wise words. Um, Laura. Are you going to ask me about our future? The, again? Word, the <laughs> words of the sage. Um, sort of, um, I mean, I've, I've run out of questions. Just sort of, I mean, it, it was basically that councils in England are facing a funding crisis. Um, I mean, yeah. And I presume you're not going to say, well, it's tough. We haven't got the money. Um, I mean, what? no, I think um, I think actually this is it, it kind of should if people are reading the news, it should really highlight some really prevalent issues that we've had and also do wonders for Durham County Council. So Nottinghamshire apparently or 30 million. Um, now, I can't see Nottinghamshire with all these Jetsons sort of type futuristic things. There's no reason for them to be in that much debt. They're just like getting their constituents to have services. Um, Durham County Council, obviously, we're nowhere near in that amount of debt, which means that we have tried to manage the little money we get um, as best as we can. So we're not left in a position where we're begging for money and we have to cut more and more and more and more. And I think that narrative needs to be spread about because I know Durham County Council have been in for a lot of grief from the constituents up here. Um, but actually, you can only do the best with what you're given. This highlights that. It's, and I, I'm a bit, dis well, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm not shocked that the newspapers are going in with their, all these councils. They're in debt like it's the council's fault um, mm -hmm. and highlighting how bad councils are doing, where in actual fact, the money comes from central government. Clearly, they're the ones who feel they're not giving enough if they've spent what they need to spend and it has gone over their budget. So I think we need to look into that. It's certainly um, a good argument for um, devolution. You know, if the government can't manage areas then we should be left to manage it ourselves because they're clearly not doing any good. So it's more, for me, it's more a story of a government failure than a county council failure. Thank you so much for that answer. Um, at the end, it boils down to money. And you, and you hit the nail on the head for me. You, you can't spend money you haven't, have, you haven't got. 
so you've got to you've got to cut your cloth and just cut your suit suit your cloth um overrun people thank you for your patience um you know what happens now we all sort of wave bye bye nobody leaves everybody just stays we chill. I've got to, I can't stay until 11 tonight. I've got to go and look at the lamp post in the dark. Um, sort of such is the life of a counsellor. But um, sort of we will be coming back after no pass around and we'll just, Sam will be taking us through your wonderful comments. Thank you for listening to the debate. Wasn't it good tonight? These people are getting better and better, aren't they? So <laughs> just, it's a joy just to sit and listen to them. So see you in four minutes' time. God bless you. Bye, everybody people sort of um I, I, I went i went through i do every, every time i finish i mean i have this little break and i go and get myself something to drink and every time i walk in and she's sat in the conservatory having watched you and uh i said are they brilliant and she says oh yes it was very good today and then i made me drink i couldn't get out tonight she just wouldn't shut up she said so first first of all she was going mad about councils and council funding and, 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 and she's saying, um, and it's a political decision not to give us any money. They just want to keep us beggars so that we're beholden to them. It's all part of their power thing. And, and, and so I said, oh, yes, dear, well, thank you very much. That's very good. I've got to go and get back to the show. And she says, and I'll tell you something. And she says, she started getting girls about Saturday. In the end, I sort of, I was walking away saying, yes, yes, love. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So she's still talking in there. And, and sort of, um, well done, you. Anyway. You've um, become a carry-on character, John. I, I was I was expecting you to start going, oh, and she's had this. They're watching a carry on film. In for me, in for me. They've all got it in for me. Um, sort of, uh, th this is where I hand over to Sam and uh, sort of and try and keep my mouth shut and not say anything um, provocative. Sam, your show. I'm going. I'm going to start with my moment of the week, part two. So. Um, those of you who have watched this show for a while will know that I have chickens. I think it's very socialist to keep chickens, by the way, and everybody should do it, but that's beside the point. So obviously I've got a lot of these hanging around, types of eggs you wouldn't get in a shop because they're ooh, slightly more brown on one part than another. They get thrown in the bin. But now I've got these ones too. Look at that. Isn't that cool? So... I uh, rescued a chicken from somebody's back garden. <laughs> Stole, I think, is what it is. <laughs> I tried to give her back, but I couldn't find her owner. Uh, yeah, it just so happens she's a fancy chicken that lays bright white eggs. So More than white eggs, as far as I can see. <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna. Uh, that's when you've been living through a pandemic for a year. That's the type of thing that really gets you excited. <laughs> excited? Oh no! Excited! Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. oh dear. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, Mark Rattigan says. We could do with a national debate on what conservatism is and what it stands for. It's fox hunting, grammar schools, unfettered capitalism, privatisation of public services, austerity for the poor, anti-workers, unions, social protections and rights. They believe in a society based on me, me, me. Labour believe in a society based on we. 
that that is profound and true i mean the the fact of the matter is the labor party and the conservative party are based on two different conceptions of equality the conservative party believe that equality requires that everybody is just subject to the same laws and if if some people end up with better outcomes than others you know that's not not the business of the state to meddle with um which kind of sounds okay on a first reading but when you realize that means that disabled people people who are uh, people who suffer a worse lot in their life through no fault of their own because they're of a, a different ethnicity or another marginalized characteristic like sexuality they just get left to deal with it themselves because the conservatives think it's none of their business to to sort that out and the the labor party and sort of the left wing uh, reading of equality is that sometimes the state needs to step in to bring people to the same level of equality and that's why you get things like welfare rights and benefits and and um things things like the things that we don't have anymore like sure start and the education maintenance allowance which were all about providing a legitimate fair level playing field for people um See, Samantha, oh, yeah. you need to watch a little bit more of our interviews in the Origins series. Just on that note, watch Paul O'Connell's and see what he thinks of uh, state intervention and how actually he thinks socialism is uh, is not state intervention. Uh, it should be like empowering people to do that rather than like, because you're right mm -hmm. about certain forms of laborism there. Labor Party does have a tendency to say, you want this, we shall give you it. And we, I, th I think we need to move away from that if we want to, if we want to serve people. Although all those things you mentioned were extremely good things, extremely mm. good things. So I'm not arguing with that, but it's it's this. I think we need to change yeah. the way I we mean, think about that. It's a very it's a very Fabian it. socialist kind of approach. Not what I'm not mm. saying you are, but I'm saying what you slightly described there had sounded. Uh, yeah i mean like i think that's a debate for another day i think yes. i know what he thinks and i think i've got some profound disagreements um because With if you're going to leave people yes i think if you're going to leave people to emancipate themselves then then that becomes a far right non non uh state interventionist viewpoint and you can't expect people to do that if they've got no means to do it like you say people are too busy working to engage with politics and community activism at the moment. And it's very easy for the state to say, well, they can help themselves if they want. Isn't a food bank a great thing? I give money to the food it's, bank so they can do nice work. No, it's, it, it's not that it was about, it's, it's about educating people in order to organize in their workplaces and give power to workplaces, give power to communities and that kind of thing and make sure everyone's active politically rather than that. That's, that's the argument there. It's a fun I, I one. Want, we shall have yeah, it another oh, time. Syndicalism. So tell me, what, is that not syndicalism? Syndicalism. I don't know what syndicalism is. I don't know the posh words for things sometimes, John. But uh, so I, I don't know. I, mean, I, I can. I, I, I just. I, 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 we I'm call it. Very happy to be wrong on that. Maybe somebody in the. Um, we, we call I it. I think when you sort of. It, it's, it sounds very uh, European, very French, does that when you're giving power to people in in, in, in sort of talking about cooperatives and things like that. And, 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 and I wondered just whether you were 
I think the I think the point is we don't know what's going to look like. We don't really know what's going to look like when it gets there because it could look like all sorts of different things. Like if we want to transform the world, the world's going to look quite different, and we don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, I don't disagree. I'm I'm just trying to learn. Stuart, we wanted to speak there. Sorry. Yeah, you know, we get dragged into these uh, debates on you know big ideologies when you know the people we're trying to you know emancipate and and talk to you know when we we talk about equality and you know equity you 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 need to break it down where it's a level like if if everybody in the country needed a bicycle tomorrow the a tory government would give everybody an identical bicycle that was you know one size identical across the board and probably bought from one of hancock's mates right but a labor government would make sure that there was bicycles for children and bicycles for disabled people and bicycles for everybody's height and you know needs. That's the difference. And I don't think we really need to get dragged into, you know, how, how we have a, a workplace, you know, revolution of, of democracy. If we can just get these basic ideas that you know we need bicycles that fit everybody. So the, the debate is really whether the state makes the bicycles or whether the people make the bicycles. <laughs> um, but the yeah, I'll, I'll watch the thing and then I'll argue against it. Um, as is my custom of actually reading the thing I'm arguing against. <laughs> actually just making it up. Um, I, I, I think I might have done, done a slight injustice to him because I don't think you would disagree with what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've maybe done an injustice. Okay. Where is this available? I never. I mean, obviously, anybody now needs to go and listen to this this chappy and, and and see what he said. Where can they find that, Paul? Just on our uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, he's also coming. Funnily enough, Paul's coming on tomorrow to speak about uh, to speak about James Connolly. Uh, we're doing an an Irish Day special for um, St Patrick's Day. Uh, we've got. Um, Maeve is coming on, Tina McKay, who was on our show last week, and Paul O'Connell. And I'm going to sit there as the most English one on there out of uh, out of people and listen to their stories of Irish socialism. So that, that should be really good. But Paul's is uh, in the Origin series on our on our YouTube channel, probably the easiest place to find it. Need to, need to listen to that. Just broadening my mind. Thank you so much. Sorry, Sam. All right. Ronnie uh, brings up the fact that with a future that has increasing automation, uh, the only logical result is a society that has some kind of universal basic income. Uh, I think. I mean, this is. I think this is one of the best arguments for a universal basic income because it's it's very clear that we are going to have increasing. We already have. If you look back, <laughs> a lot of a lot of jobs now that are done by robots would have been done by people in factories like in the 70s. Um, and if you look at the Amazon warehouses that are uh, big employers now, they've all been built with a view to being automated in the near future. So like those are not long term jobs. Those are jobs that the employer are organizing to, to dispose of. So it does become a big question you know how are we going to achieve employment when there are just literally not as many jobs um 
and you know is is the answer um a universal basic income of some kind i i think it probably is i think i have talked about this before that um it's within us to want to spend our time productively in some way shape or form whether that's paid employment voluntary work caring for somebody who you want to care for you know there's there's so many different things that people do with their lives that aren't going to work for money um and we probably do need to let people explore those things in their lives and stop chasing after like jobs that that don't even exist anybody got any opinions on that yeah I, I talk to lots of people about universal basic income uh-huh. and the, the consensus is that we could put it in place quite easily and transition the welfare system we have into a universal basic income one but the real issues that we face are that universal basic income also needs you know a system of education to support it you know it needs uh, a government that's going to recognize socially valuable jobs before that goes in otherwise we've just you know, replace one welfare system that doesn't best suit us with another welfare system that isn't going to, you know, cover all the things we need it to do. Yeah. Any other opinions? Isn't it, isn't it meant to be cheaper? Isn't it like oh, yeah. the, the administration around it uh, would actually mean it would be it would be more cost effective? Then a lot of people would lose jobs in those systems, but maybe we could get them to do useful jobs rather than checking whether disabled people can walk across a room um maybe well yeah exactly and that was always the thing you know i mean i've had a lot of in, like carers allowance is is pretty ruggedly uh policed <laughs> and uh, i have you uh, probably it's cost as much over the time of me having carers allowance for people to grill me and check me every year and to go through the reams of forms they asked me to produce, then then they've paid me in carer's allowance. Like I can't imagine that um, that's not the case. And and obviously, like you said, when you're talking about disability living allowance, uh, personal dependence payment, those are just there's so much admin. And then also on top of that, there's there are departments that are set up to try and catch people out and enforce um, people paying back over payments and things. And yeah, we could get rid of all of that if we had a universal basic income. Um, and also perhaps uh, get rid of some of the uh, horrific, um, yeah, just, just the whole the whole thing about disability benefits is, is horrendous at the moment. It, 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 it begins from a position where you are guilty until proven disabled. Um, and they also do not make it easy to it, like you should just you, your doctor should be able to sign a form but they can't you've got to go to somebody else who's not medically qualified to make a judgment based on arbitrary things like Stuart said about walking across the room if you could if you could physically put a, a piece of ham onto a piece of bread and then put another piece of bread on top of that you can make a meal and you don't need any help with your nutrition like that's that's the way it works yes do it just when you said walking across the room i've i've been looking at some of the forms that people are doing it's no longer about walking across the room it's if you can just travel across the room 
So they, they now consider people who are, you know, using wheelchairs and other, you know, means of mobility, that, that that's good enough and that's, and, and, you know, good enough for them to, to be able to do. You know, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, we, have, we, have a, we have a live question from my friend Chris Hood. Uh, with nearly 50 days to go till the county elections, what are the panel's predictions? Go on then, John. What's going to happen at the county council election? Are you going to get re-elected? I think... Yes, of course he is. <laughs> Every, That's not to elect you. Labour is in trouble. Labour is significantly in trouble. You've asked the wrong person here because I could talk till the end of the show about this. Sort of the, we just need to face that fact. Um, I think the first thing is, is that the government is 10 points ahead in the polls and extending that all the time. Um, the, um, the people out there, they do not want to know about how the government has mishandled the virus um, and they turn on anybody who actually tries to say that. The government, they want to, they, they believe that it's been a very difficult thing and in fact the government's done very well under the circumstances and now look how brilliantly they're rolling out the virus. And they're not saying that it's no use of that we say it's the, the NHS that's rolling out the virus, not the government, sort of, they, they, they and the I vaccine, think, although their virus rollout at the beginning no, no, no. of the pandemic was absolutely <laughs> flawless. <laughs> it was one of the world-beating vaccine, the virus. A, a, a virus rollout that was world-beating at the beginning of all this <laughs> pandemic. You know, no one spread the virus better than the UK. And then <laughs> against that, we've got really strong opposition, uh, motivated and exceptionally, uh, particularly in County Durham, which is just... Um, dog whistle politics just saying just all the things to um, get people angry with the county council and uh, sort of misrepresenting individuals and bodies and I Oh, I do have a bad feeling about it, and 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 what I what, what I worry about is is not my own particular seat, though that is in a very uh, I'm in a very conservative ward. But the fact is is that um, if I go, it will be uh, nothing uh, to if we lose our Labour-controlled county council. People will really know if that happens, and 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 my feeling is is that we are in significant danger of of that happening and uh sort of it, it's like a rolling stone and how the, if you stand in front of it it'll just crush you um and um, um so how do i feel about the elections and and i haven't looked to see what people are saying about what i'm saying but i am very very worried indeed at that, that, that at this point in time we haven't even started we haven't even declared the election yet um it's it's running against us um, now, at the end of the day, will people see sense and put the cross where it is in their benefits to put the cross? And uh, sort of, um, it, you need to not overreact sort of to a dozen very active people on social media. Um, maybe out there there's this vast fund of sense amongst the, the, um, 
the, the electorate and 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 I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But um, that's my view. So I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm obviously not despondent and I'm working like crazy. But the fact of the matter is, is that I'm not sanguine. So I think that's that's my worry as well. The um, to to be to I mean. So for the last six years, I've been engaged with my community and trying to work out how to make things better and, and learning all the time about how to change things and how to get things done. Um, and like in the last two months, there's people sprouted up out of nowhere, making promises they can't possibly keep, talking about stuff they've got absolutely no clue about. And it just really winds me up because people are coming along and saying, oh, what a refreshing outlook. It's not a refreshing outlook to be wrong. <laughs> That's driving me mad. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, you don't find out people have given you impossible promises until after the election and they can't do what they've said they're going to do, you know. Um, and that by that time, it's too late and you're stuck with them for four years. So... Um, yeah, I, I really do hope that we manage to get our message across and that um, that we get a good result. And in in Bishop Auckland constituency, we have got some amazing new candidates um, that have never, never stood for election at that level before. Uh, loads of energy, loads of enthusiasm already deeply embedded in their communities. Um, so I'm very positive about them. But like you say, John, um, we I I have never taken a single vote for granted. You definitely can't take any votes for granted um, in this climate. No seat is a safe seat. Um, and anybody out there who is a Labour supporter or activist, you know, we really do need you to help us get those leaflets through the doors um, and talk to people on the phone. Um, I hope that being that we are campaigning during a, an election, uh, during an election, during a pandemic, <laughs> the Labour Party is in a better position than others because we've got quite a lot of uh, data to work with in terms of how we target communications and things that, you know, um, other other groups probably don't have. Uh, but, you know, it's not over till it's over. It's not over till we'll all be there at the count. Well, we probably won't be there at the count. We don't even know how it's going to be counted yet. So that'll be interesting to find out how the count works. <laughs> how are things going in Chilton? I'm, I'm having a good time. You know, I'm <laughs> work, working hard and, you know, what, what I do stick on the internet, got a positive response. I think, you know, I don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, I've got very big shoes to fill in Chilton. If you if you were ever a, a Labour voter, and you know th there's there's distrust in in politics in general. I find by a lot of people there's for the most part apathy towards what lots of people do, and that, that that's really you know sad. So I do hope that you know hard work kind of shines through, and that people respect that there, there are people like Sam and uh, others in their communities working really hard and whether you, you agree with them politically or not that you, you respect them for the amount of effort and work and care and love that they put into their communities and you know maybe that that'll 
That'll be enough. What about Wingate, Paul and Laura? I reckon, well, the amount of work that John Higgins has done here should see him absolutely just not a problem whatsoever. Um, I think it's difficult for everyone across all of our constituency and County Durham actually because a bit like Brexit, people are looking for somebody to blame. And when things aren't going right, it's very easy to go, well, the council has done that. Um, and I think there's a lack of personal accountability. Like if I see one more person whinging about potholes and they're not reporting it, <laughs> like county councillors aren't all knowing. They don't have, you know, <laughs> they don't have a crystal ball. They can't see all potholes at all times. Report it and they'll fix it. You know, just stuff like that. I think um, people are angry. People have had a really crap time over the last 18 months. It's been awful. People feel like shit and people want to blame someone. So they'll see somebody who's been supposedly working for them and go, all right, don't you anymore because nothing's working. When in actual fact, you, you like the county council, we've got the minute. Like we said earlier with the with the spending, you couldn't have done a better job with what you've been given. You've done the best with the tools you've been given. Evidently more, like much better than a lot of councils up and down the country. You don't owe 30 million. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm hoping Wingate will be completely safe because John, he does this thing where he sends me updates every week of what's been happening and it's just like bloody hell <laughs> like how much stuff are you doing it's constant he's always working he's always walking around the village he's really trying hard he's changed so much he's he's got a lot of stuff in place for the next few weeks that'll really make a big difference to people here as well um people have asked for certain things and they get them done so yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that people the people of Wingate and um and beyond will, will just go, yep. <laughs> Let's vote you back in because you're in. People of Wingate. If John doesn't aren't get stupid. in here, I'll be devastated. People but, people are, people of Wingate aren't stupid. So no, when you've not. got um when when you've got like someone coming in who's never been here before, who comes in to take a couple of photos of some potholes. You know, that on near a pit wheel that he didn't help build. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, I'm here at the pit wheel that like the parish council put in, and you know that everyone's very proud of in Wingate, or or the or the traffic carman around the co-op when he was like, I got these bollards put in. He didn't. He's just the Lib Dem who made up all sorts of ridiculous lies, pretended he was doing X, Y, and Z, and he wasn't doing anything at all. Um, and the people of Wingate aren't stupid. That's why they returned such a massive vote. So we don't take it for granted, but like John doesn't take it for granted. And he's an absolutely brilliant county councillor. And uh, I'm very proud to have him as, as our county councillor. And I would vote for him whether he was standing for the Monster Raven Looney Party or anything, you know. And I'm not saying <laughs> I've got to vote for Labour because I'm, a, because I'm in the Labour Party. But, you know, he's... He, He's brilliant, and I would vote for him anyway. So any Wingate people watching, um, just vote for John Higgins. It's very, very, uh, very sensible thing to do. Uh, throughout mm -hmm. the county, I'm not so confident about Labour's chances. I think uh, nationally, the polls are looking really, really bad. I think Starmer um, is really. Um, I don't know what he intends to inspire. It's a. He wanted to exude confidence and and competence, but he's come across like, I don't know, like. I don't know. 
don't know. We've got a terrible shower upstairs where um, we describe it as being breathed on by like when the, <laughs> when the water's dripping on your face. It's like being breathed on by a hot cat. The breath from <laughs> hot cat breath. It's just like it's just like a sort of really rubbish, <laughs> dribbly mist, and uh, and that's what I'm reminded of sometimes when I see uh, Keir Starmer's performance as Labour leader. Um, mm. You know, a few people have contacted me about whether I'm going for the Hartlepool seat. Um, yeah, I don't think I would get it. Mm. After. <laughs> but not after that, no. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. What what I hope what I hope people will um understand as a logical necessity as a philosopher <laughs> is that if you think it's wrong to only vote for a candidate because of their political party, if you think that's wrong, if you think blindly voting for one political party, no matter who it is, is wrong, then you must also think that refusing to vote for somebody who's a good candidate just because of the political party they're in is wrong. And I just hope people will actually look at their candidates and not just the badge that they've got on. Um, and like like uh, like Paul was saying before, you know, uh, we've got some people who are doing genuinely good in their, in their community and it would just be such a shame not to give them the tools they are asking for to do even more good in the community. It's good to say Graham Marshall. Hi Graham, you're a bit oh, late. Really late to the party. Oh, against you. Where's my kebab? It's all right, I've ordered pizza today. Uh we'll let you off with that. Um Jake Ratcliffe. Didn't John want that. didn't John want to be done before eleven o'clock? <laughs> I feel sorry <laughs> for him. He's gotta go out. I've got to go and look up. at a, a lamppost. Sort okay. of um uh, the, the it's um the, 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 what they've done is they've replaced all the lamp posts on yeah, uh, systematically on my estates, and this is um, the estate. They've, they've, they've been sort of what they've done is they've chosen this time first of all to leave the stumps all over, so people aren't sort of saying, "My God, they've got new shiny lamp posts." They're all saying, "What are all these stumps being left for?" And, and, and but the other thing is, is that sort of of course, just every now and again they put up one in a slightly different place. And, and this is a complaint that it's ruining somebody's quality of life because it's just shining into their rooms all the time. So, and of course, I can't offer any sensible comment unless I go out at the dead of night and, um, and, and, and sort of have a look and see how it's affecting this poor family. So, yes, I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you and say goodbye for that, if that's okay. Oh. And um, I'll jump in my car and... Um, Go and have a look at the lamp post. Now, I sort of, uh, I, I, I'm not trying to bring the party oh, to no. an end. Um, but we can bring the party. Thank you. I, I don't think you can leave, John, because if you leave, we, we lose a square and we'll all end up in different places on the screen. Um, so we will wind this up just now. But just before we do, uh, there was a comment earlier on when we were talking about conversion therapy for Kath Conroy. Conroy um, paying tribute to Alan Turing, I think it is important to uh, recognise his heroic um, struggle. I think we, we're too 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 much when we're talking about war. We we look at the soldiers, and of course, soldiers do a very important thing in war. But people like Alan Turing, who were there uh, cracking the cords and and doing things which were just as vital to the war effort. And what did we do to repay him? Um, he was he was subject to horrific 
conversion therapy, uh, sterilized um, to, to start trying to stop him from uh, exercising his gay identity. And also uh, histor historically accepted as being an autistic man as I well. Shut up, Siri. My phone's talking to me. Uh, yeah, historically accepted as being an autistic man as well. Uh, so it's always um, a shame to see a historic gay war hero treated as badly as he, he is. And I think it's always important to recognise what happened to him and, and say, you know, we're, we are sorry, actually, Alan. And we hope that people who come after you won't be treated in such a horrific way. Can I just be very, very rude because there's just been two fabulous comments. First of all, Graham Marsh, should we vote for the person or the party? I think that's one hell of a, a discussion topic. And I'm going to put it on the poll next week. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but the other one is Mark Lungley here's comment. Have you seen his comments, Sam, about, um, uh, you know, if we crash and burn in the elections, what will happen to the Labour Party? Um, yeah. And um, I, I, I sort of... Um, I think that's a, a question worth considering as well. That's, you know, um, is this um, last chance saloon for Starmer? Um, it's, it's very interesting. You don't think so, Paul? No, no, I think he's doing what he's meant to be doing. I do, I, I, I think that this has not been about uh, getting elected. They've, uh, they really have written off 2024. As far as I've heard, um, and I don't think this was about. Um, I don't think Starmer's tenure as Labour leader has been about um, making sure that we're electable because we've gone back to Miliband or, or a little bit, a little bit to the right of that. Um, it's about. It's about making sure that those socialist ideas are never at the forefront again, in my view. Very interesting. Uh, Mark Lungley, just thank you for that comment. Um, I sort of, um, time will tell, won't it? Sorry, Sam, I just, I, I, oh, I, you were winding On up. That bombshell, we are going to end. Da, da, da. So let's just say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Give everybody a wave. Bye. Thank you. The red flag fly.